0: I hate to put a little pressure on you, but the fate of the Republic rests on your shoulders.
1: Oh, great. It's like I don't have enough problems. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left of me jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you yep yes i'm stuck in the middle with you. from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la up in oregon on 91.7 fm kyaq on the central coast 106.7 fm queso in cottage grove in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU The Voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF The Progressive Voice of Minnesota. And coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Nicole Sandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, amongst others, blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling, action-packed adventure. As the, uh, what did he say, Desi Doyen, the fate of the free world rests on our shoulders? The
2: fate of the republic, and then he went on to say that the world is teetering. Okay, that's all
1: no big can do. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, The uh, FBI has opened up a civil rights probe into this fire that we reported yesterday as it was uh, breaking on the broadcast, uh, this uh, fire in Greenville, Mississippi. The FBI is uh, investigating it on uh, civil rights grounds. They're looking into the arson and vandalism, uh, which was spray-painted, spray-painted, with this church after it was this black church in Greenville, Mississippi. It was spray-painted with the words, Vote Trump. Brett Carr of the FBI's Jackson Branch said that "We we are working with our local, state, and federal law enforcement partners to determine if any civil rights crimes were committed. The agency has said it's too early to determine if the incident at the Hopewell Missionary Baptist Church was a hate crime. But the mayor of Greenville, Eric Simmons, said the town so far sees it as one. Simmons told the Associated Press that we consider it a hate crime because of the political message, which we believe was intended to interfere with worship and intimidate voters. Greenville is a town of around 32,000 residents, and it's about 78 percent black. You may have seen the photos of the church, heavy smoke and fire damage. Uh, and uh, 80% of the 111-year-old building, this black church in Greenville, Mississippi, was destroyed. Now, the the upside here, the good news, if, if you can call it that, there's a GoFundMe campaign that uh, immediately raised more than $161,000 by this morning. This is far beyond the original goal, which was $10,000. They so far brought in $161,000 last I checked it. Um, But uh, here's what uh, caught my eye. Mississippi politicians from across the ideological spectrum have condemned the act. However, they are split on whether the arson was politically motivated. Congressman Betty Thompson of of Mississippi, whose district includes Greenville, told AP that the fire and political message were, quote, obviously an attempt to sway public opinion regarding the upcoming election. You think? The great big letters. Vote Trump on the side of this church underneath where it's burnt out. However, Mississippi's top elections official disagreed. Republican Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman told WDAM that constituents should not jump to conclusions and said initial reports suggest the crime is not of a political nature. Really? Not of a political nature. Now, I don't want to jump to conclusions about who did this. Uh, We had a story of this uh, firebombing a couple of weeks ago, this firebombing in North Carolina of a Republican uh, election campaign office that had some uh, symbols, some Nazi symbols on it said Republican Nazis get out of town. I don't know that they've caught the perpetrator in that matter yet, but at the time I pointed out, it seemed sort of suspicious. There was a number of suspicious uh, elements to that particular crime uh, that made me wonder, was this really, uh, you know, someone who was anti-Republican who had done this? Remember, uh, Donald Trump came on and and used it to great aplomb, said... Uh, you know, the animals who did this need to be rounded up or whatever it was, uh, and and he blamed it on Hillary Clinton supporters. We don't know if in that case it was Hillary Clinton supporters, and here in this case we don't even know if it's actually uh, Trump supporters or if it's somebody trying to embarrass the Trump campaign. That could be the case. But for Delbert Hoseman, the Secretary of State of Mississippi, to say that This act, uh, this crime, quote, is not of a political nature. It's clearly of a political nature. It says vote Trump on the side, even if it is uh, a false flag attack by, uh, you know, somebody trying to make the Trump uh, supporters look bad. It is still clearly of a political nature. So we will discuss that uh, and much more uh, concerning some ominous signs in the last several days concerning far-right extremists again, we don't know if this uh, you know who did this attack in Mississippi but we've got some other ominous signs uh, about what far-right extremists are planning and or at least claiming uh, that they plan actions that they plan to take on election day which could disrupt voting in a number of ways. so I'll be speaking with Mark Potok of the Southern Poverty Law Center shortly. they track extremist groups all year long. Uh, and we will find out if there is anything uh, to these new disturbing reports of uh, what a bunch of right wing groups are claiming they will be doing on election day. We will see if they will do it or not. We'll see what uh, what Mark Potok thinks of these people and of these groups and of these, uh, of these claims. Uh, in the meantime, Down in uh, North Carolina, speaking of insane, we've been talking about uh, these challenges that were filed against voters based on nothing more than sending these voters uh, a mailer and if they didn't reply to it or if it bounced back. Uh, they would use this as evidence to challenge these voters to claim that these voters weren't legitimate voters, that they were dead or they had moved or something like that.
2: And it's important to point out these are not official mailings from official uh, officials in the secretary of state or the registrar. These
1: are just groups. G- groups who have done this. And frankly, in North Carolina, as you'll see in a second, apparently anyone can do this. Which is the process that a judge now in North Carolina has described as insane, according to AP. Uh, So North Carolina's process for challenging voter registration seems to hearken to a bygone era. When few safeguards were in place to stop this sort of thing, according to a federal judge on Wednesday uh, who presided over a lawsuit alleging that voters are being purged unfairly in North Carolina. Mind you, North Carolina was very, very close back in 2008. It went to the Democrats, went to Barack Obama. And in 2012, it went very, very narrowly to uh, to Mitt Romney. So North Carolina is a key swing state this year, period. Uh, the judge, uh, the judge's comments came during an emergency hearing over an NAACP allegation that at least three counties purged voter rolls through a process that disproportionately targeted black voters. Last week, we talked about Ari Berman had a story over at Uh, over at The Nation on exactly this, a 100-year-old woman, an African-American woman who was being uh, denied the right to vote because she ended up on this list. Now, this letter, when it was sent to her, she doesn't get her mail at home. She's lived in the same place for decades. She doesn't get her mail at home. She gets it at the post office, and I guess it was returned back from the post office. Maybe she didn't pick it up fast enough. In any, in any event, she's one of the people that have been targeted in this scheme, this Republican scheme, to purge voters from the rolls in North Carolina, which the NAACP is uh, suing uh, over. The NAACP says the counties are violating federal law by removing voters less than 90 days before the election from the rolls. State officials in North Carolina, however, say that the process uh, complements federal law, and it preserves due process rights. But the judge, uh, U.S. District Judge Loretta Biggs, said the process sounds, quote, insane. She said this sounds like something that was put together in 1901. <laughs> uh, she said she was horrified by the number of removals in Cumberland County, which accounted for most of the statewide total uh, in this purge. She said it almost looks like a cattle call the way people are being purged. The hearing ended without a ruling, but Biggs uh, acknowledged that time is short before the next election. The NAACP suit cites Cumberland, Moore and Beaufort counties in North Carolina where activists have challenged activists. These are Republican activists who have challenged thousands of voters. This uh, group in uh, the challenges include one of the volunteers with the Voter Integrity Project, which is one of these right wing outfits uh, that uh, pretends there's massive voter fraud going on when what they're really trying to do is get folks off the rolls. In most cases cited in this lawsuit, mail to a voter was returned as under undeliverable, which county boards can then accept as evidence that the voter does not live at that address. Under state law, any voter can challenge another county resident's registration. I think that's what the judge was talking about was insane. Any voter can do this. And then the challenged voter, they're notified about a subsequent hearing. But if they don't show up at that hearing uh, with evidence to rebut the, the charges, then they can simply be removed from the rolls. Now, mind you, you know, in this one case, we're talking about a hundred year old woman who probably doesn't drive, it's probably not easier for her to get to a hearing, and she probably didn't hear about the hearing because, remember, the, the mail had bounced back. Now, election officials and the challengers say that uh, few attend these hearings. Many have moved without updating their registration. Others have died. In both cases, it's rare. That the voter will call and uh, remove their registration, particularly when they have died. Lawyers for North Carolina said a database shows eight counties removed nearly 6,700 challenged voters that in the past two years. But a court filing uh, uh, by the state said that Cumberland County had removed the, the most, 5,600 voters. The Justice Department rang in on this, and uh, in this uh, case, they put a uh, they uh, entered a court filing claiming that uh, if the NAACP allegations are true, that that would represent a violation of the National Voter Registration Act. The Justice Department writes that counties cannot remove voters using only mail returned as undeliverable and without following specific required procedures, nor can they carry out systematic removals within 90 days of a federal election. But that appears to be what has happened in North Carolina. Where, you'll recall, back in July, a federal court, the appellate court, uh, struck down much of North Carolina's election law that had been pushed through by Republicans there, saying that the GOP-controlled General Assembly had, uh, disproportionate, had targeted black voters with nearly surgical precision. That's what's going on. That's what is still going on as we are just days away from the election. Now we've got some uh, good news here that I want to get to, but to to, to explain how this uh, to explain how this works, uh, I need to go back for a moment to uh, to 2012 at the Brad blog at bradblog.com. We reported at the time this was uh, in early 2012 in January, and um, this was right after the New Hampshire primary, as we reported it at the time. Uh, And just after the U.S. Department of Justice had rejected a new South Carolina law that attempted to keep registered voters from voting at the polling place unless they were able to present a very specific type of state issued photo ID that was stopped, that was blocked in South Carolina at the time under the Voting Rights Act, the part of which has now been gutted by the Supreme Court. Uh, But at the time, they were able to stop South Carolina from doing this. And in response, the South Carolina attorney general pushed back by claiming that uh, a state DMV analysis had discovered some 953 dead voters had cast ballots in recent elections in South Carolina. 953 votes. That's a lot of votes, a lot of uh, dead people casting votes. But the funny thing is. Uh, Upon a closer examination, as we noted at the time back in 2012, those 953 dead voters, uh, they weren't so dead after all. The South Carolina State Election Commission, uh, the executive director of the commission, in other words, the chief election official in South Carolina, testified in response to this and released a statement. Now, according to her statement, looking at these 953 dead voters, this claim that was being Pushed out by Fox News and everywhere else. Uh, She said at the time, Marcy said, uh, while the state election commission had not yet been provided with all of the information on which the claims about these dead voters were being made, the attorney general's office that did had provided her with a small sample, just six names. From one of the counties. So she went and reviewed these six names that were given to her by the attorney general who had gone out and said that hundreds of dead voters were casting votes in South Carolina. And her review of the voter registration lists and the signatures on the polling lists from the elections in question revealed that of these six. okay, you ready? One was an absentee ballot that was cast by a voter who then died before Election Day. So the person cast their vote, and then they died. That's not illegal, just so you know. Uh, it's tragic, but it's not illegal. Uh, another was the result of an error by a poll worker who had mistakenly marked the voter as Samuel Ferguson Jr., when in fact the voter was Samuel Ferguson III. So that Sam Jr. was not dead. Actually, Jr. was dead, but the uh, the third was not dead. Two were the result of stray marks on the voter registration list that were detected by the scanner. Again, this was a clerical error, they note. So nobody, no dead people voted there at all. This is the scanner uh, read it incorrectly. The final two were the result of poll managers incorrectly marking the name of the voter in question instead of the voter listed uh, either above or below on the list. So whoever, when they signed in, they marked the wrong voter above the voter's name, and or instead of below or whatever it was, that was that accounted for all six. And so none of these six voters that she was given were actually dead. Now uh, that wasn't the only specious claim that the attorney general's office uh, was was making at the time, and that Andino ended up dismantling during her testimony. Uh, After a DMV analysis, according to the attorney general, had found some 37,000 deceased voters on the rolls in South Carolina. After that, Andino said that her office was uh, compelled to find out if any of them had requested absentee ballots for the January 21 state GOP primary at the time. And the research found, quote, 10 voters in eight different counties had applied for absentee ballots. The SEC immediately asked local election officials to provide us with copies of the voter registration and absentee applications signed by these voters thought to be dead. But when they looked into it in every single case, the signatures on these forms were matched and each of the 10 voters was, in fact, confirmed to be alive. Now, uh, Fox News had run with that story originally about 953 dead voters. That was uh, in uh, late January. Several days later, we covered all of this at Bradblog.com. Uh, the, uh, Fox News had yet to run any follow-up story showing that the chief election official in South Carolina had indeed found that these were not dead voters, that they were perfectly alive voters, uh, whether they corrected them or not, I don't know. But that those zombie voters who actually weren't zombies at all is still what we are dealing with today in uh, 2000. Where are we? 2006, 2016. And Donald Trump is still marching all around the country talking about all of these dead voters, millions of dead voters. Uh, who are going to be voting this year, even though this zombie voter myth has been disproven time and time again. Here was Trump uh, recently, last just last month, in Cleveland.
3: Isn't it amazing the way they say there's no voter fraud? Folks, it's a rigged system, and it's a rigged election, believe me. According to the highly respected Pew, there are 1.8 million dead people that are registered right now to vote and folks folks some of them vote i wonder why i wonder how that happened they woke up from the dead and they went and voted
1: so uh, yes uh it's funny 1.8 million dead people on the rolls well that's gonna just uh, throw the election all of those dead people no It's not. It's the same story. It's the same story over and over again that we have been telling for years at Bradblog.com. That was uh, those zombie voters that was back in uh, in 2012. And oh, by the way, very quietly uh, back in uh, 2012, actually 2013, uh, this was in July of 2013. You will be shocked to learn that the 18 month probe into that South Carolina state an 18-month probe, an expensive one, uh, at the request of state Republicans by by the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, they quietly issued a report uh, in July, just before the uh, July 4th holiday weekend, saying that uh, there would be uh, there were no recommendations, no further action. No arrests. They closed the entire investigation. They found uh, that the supposedly dead voters were neither dead, uh, nor uh, did they vote after all.
2: I'm sure Fox News reported on that.
1: Nope, they didn't. It was a holiday. They were busy. So this is the same story. We see it over and over again. But here's some good news. It's now happening up in Wisconsin, where uh, Republicans are making these claims about zombie voters in Wisconsin. And the good news here is that I don't have to be the one to rebut it. WTMJ-TV in Milwaukee actually investigated this themselves. And so I want to play their report Because, uh, well, I'm just so delighted that uh, someone in the corporate mainstream media actually bothered to look into it. Here's WTMJ. Uh, This week, up in Milwaukee. Candidates are flooding the Badger State. The Clinton camp in Madison today, while Donald Trump spoke in Eau Claire, and he keeps talking about election fraud. Including people dead for years who somehow managed to vote come election day. But is that an urban legend or something that actually happened here in Wisconsin? Well, the I-team has been digging into this for weeks. Steve Shamraz is here now with what he's uncovered. Steve.
0: Guys, we looked at hundreds of thousands of Wisconsin voter records. We spent dozens of hours searching through other documents to see if the claim of zombie voters could be backed up by the facts. Donald Trump's top supporters say it is a fact. We need some truth. We need truth. Dead people, they claim, cast ballots on election day. People that have died 10 years ago are still voting. But how does the claim of a candidate square with Wisconsin reality? It's just not happening in the United States right now. Richard Hassan is a professor at University of California Irvine School of Law and one of the nation's leading election law experts. He's the man behind the election law blog and has heard all that talk about dead voters.
3: What looks like fraud to someone who's lazy is actually just either administrative error or just poor record keeping and uh, not some vast conspiracy to rig the election.
0: It takes a bit of work, but the claims of Donald Trump and Professor Hassan can be checked out. So that's what we did. The I-Team looked at 2012 voting records from Brown, Milwaukee, and Waukesha counties. That is a total of 828,684 people who cast a ballot in that year's presidential election. Using their first, middle, and last names, plus their zip codes, we compared voter records with death records from the Social Security Administration. What did we find? 362 cases where the first, middle and last name plus the zip code matched. So that proves it, right? No. It means our work is just beginning. For example, voter records show a woman named Jane E. Camillo from zip code 53217 died on New Year's Day 1998. But Jane E. Camillo, from the same zip code, voted seven times since 2012. We had to figure out why. Are you the Jane Camillo? Yes. We found the Jane E. Camillo, who's been voting all these years, at her home in Bayside. Her appearance on this list is pure coincidence, as she has the same first and middle names as her husband's first wife, who, you guessed it, passed away in 1998.
4: Thank goodness somebody's paying attention, you know, with corruption and voter fraud and everything. This made me actually very happy that I was caught in the loop.
0: In every one of the 362 potential matches, public records gave us similar explanations. Relatives shared the same name, or there was a common name in the same neighborhood. But no sign of voter fraud. That's no surprise to the man in charge of Wisconsin elections. The possibility of a, of a dead person casting a ballot in Wisconsin is what? Uh, I think a very uh, minuscule uh, chance that that would happen. He says that's because the state purges the registrations of dead voters every month.
3: These thieves and crooks. As Donald media. Trump
0: continues to talk about a stolen election, Rick Hassen says calm down. Rumors of an election day zombie apocalypse are greatly exaggerated.
3: Proving bureaucratic incompetence, that's pretty easy to do. Proving dead voters voting, not going to happen.
0: Let's just make this clear. We can't conclude no dead people voted in Wisconsin's 2012 presidential election, but using our limited but very large sample, we just found zero evidence that they did, and we spent a lot of money and a lot of time
1: trying to find them. Good for WTMJ. They've spent a lot of time, a lot of money. They couldn't find any, any, every one of those 362 potential matches uh, turned out to be alive. Go figure. So it is unlikely to be uh, dead zombie voters throwing our elections into question and chaos this year. But what about live right wing extremists who are vowing to do exactly that? That is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got, well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast five days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyen and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com all along the watchtower between now and Election Day, and I suspect beyond that as well. Uh, Politico has a very disturbing report this week. I want to uh, share a bit of it. It begins this way. Neo-Nazi leader Andrew Anglin plans to muster thousands of poll watchers across all 50 states. His partners at the alt-right website The Right Stuff are touting plans to set up hidden cameras at polling places in Philadelphia and hand out liquor and marijuana in the city's, quote, ghetto on Election Day to induce residents to stay home. The National Socialist Movement, that would be the Nazi Party, varies uh, and various factions of the Ku Klux Klan and the White Nationalist American Freedom Party are all deploying members to watch polls, either informally or they say through the Trump campaign. The Oath Keepers, a group of former law enforcement and military members that often show up and heavily ar- uh, show up in public, heavily armed, is advising members to go undercover and conduct. Intelligence gathering at polling places, whatever that means. And Donald Trump ally Roger Stone is organizing his own exit polling aimed to monitor thousands of precincts across the country. Energized by Trump's candidacy, uh, they say, and alarmed by his warnings of a rigged election, white nationalists, alt-right, and militia movement groups are planning to come together in full force on Tuesday, creating the potential for conflict and... Uh, At the close of an already turbulent campaign season, many more surprises. Despite Trump's claims that American democracy is compromised by massive voter fraud so far in this election, only one person covered it a few days ago, a Trump supporter in Iowa who attempted to vote twice, has been arrested for it. That has not stopped fringe groups already inclined to believe that minorities are stealing the election from heeding Trump's call to monitor voting in, quote, certain areas. Here's Trump just last month in Mannheim, Pennsylvania, a state in which he's been making these uh, same comments, really, over and over and over again, charging that the only way he can lose in Pennsylvania is if they cheat. You've got to go out and you've got to
3: get your friends and you've got to get everybody you know and you've got to watch your polling booths because I hear too many stories about Pennsylvania, certain areas, I hear too many bad stories, and we can't lose an election because of you know what I'm talking about. So go and vote, and then go check out areas, because a lot of bad things happen, and we don't want to lose for that reason.
1: In an email... Uh, Politico reports Anglin, the editor of the neo-Nazi daily Stormer website, said he already had uh, led a big voter registration drive and he was, quote, sending an army of alt-right nationalists to watch the polls. Anglin said he was working in conjunction with the alt-right website, therightstuff.biz. A senior Trump advisor told Bloomberg Businessweek last month that the campaign is working on a three-pronged voter suppression strategy. That was the words that they used, by the way, in this Bloomberg report. A voter suppression strategy. One of uh, the prongs includes an effort to depress black turnout. We also have some teams going into the ghettos in Philly with 40s and weed to give out to the local residents, which we think will lead to more of them staying home. We've had success with this in the past, wrote the representative from TheRightStuff.biz. It remains an open question whether those neo-Nazi plans actually materialize and to what extent. More concrete, says Politico, are plans by the Oath Keepers, a militia movement group that was formed in 2009. They have thousands of active members drawn from the ranks of former military, law enforcement. Intelligence and a track record of mustering heavily armed members in public last month in a statement, the group was urging members, quote, to form up incognito intelligence gathering and crime spotting teams and go out into public on Election Day dressed to blend in with the public. Jeff Shep, a leader of the National Socialist Movement, again, the Nazi Party, said he was organizing a Saturday rally in Pennsylvania at the State House in Harrisburg. He expects between 75 and a few hundred people to show up this week. William Johnson, chairman of the American Freedom Party and an advocate of deporting non-whites from the U.S., said his party members are working through Trump's operation rather than organizing on their own. He said, we have some of our uh, members that are doing poll watching, but they're not doing it as American Freedom Party members. They're doing it through the Trump campaign. We have a lot of people that are involved with the get out the vote uh, efforts with the Trump organizations around the country, adding that the party's California members, for example, are focused on aiding the Trump campaign in Nevada. The KKK, uh, recording, uh, according to this report, is also mobilizing for Election Day. So is this something? Is this nothing? Is this something we should be concerned about? Uh, When I read this report, there was only one man I uh, felt we needed to go to talk to about this. Mark Potok is a senior fellow at the Southern Poverty Law Center and is one of the country's leading experts on the world of extremism. He's a former journalist. He's editor-in-chief of the SPLC's award-winning quarterly journal, The Intelligence Report, and its investigative reports, including The Year in Hate and Extremism, an annual report tracking domestic hate groups within the United States. Mark Potock, sir. Welcome back to the broadcast.
4: Well, thanks so much
1: for having me. I'm uh, glad you're here. Uh, hope you are surviving this season. Uh, I know it's not easy for anybody right now. I, I Listen, I know, Mark, that you cover hate groups, uh, extremists, and their actions year-round. But in your history at the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, following these groups, have we ever seen them, at least since the height of the KKK and the Jim Crow era, have we ever seen them play such a really central role, as we are seeing in this year's election?
4: Not in my life, at least not that was visible. Uh, I mean, you know, they have been much, much in the news, uh, especially since Hillary Clinton uh, gave that speech, sort of calling out the alternative right, the so-called alt-right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, look, let me say, uh, just responding to the whole Politico story, that mm-hmm. You know, yes, I think there are some things to worry about, but there are all, some of these guys are are just serial exaggerators and liars. Uh, you know, Andrew Anglin, the guy who runs uh, the Daily Stormer website and also the Right Stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, says he has thousands of people who he's going to send out. Well, I mean, Andrew Anglin—it's basically Andrew Anglin, his computer, and a dog—that uh, <laughs> run that organization. Uh, so you know, the idea that Anglin can put thousands of people on the streets. Uh, doing undercover work in black neighborhoods, I think, is patently false. On the other hand, you know, there are quite a few groups you mentioned. Uh, the Oath Keepers, uh, to me, is the really worrying group. That is a large organized group, uh, as you said, reading mm-hmm. from the political piece, uh, mainly of uh, former and present law enforcement and military people. And they have a record of actually doing this. Uh, for instance, they sent uh, very heavily armed people. Uh, to Ferguson, Missouri, during Mm -hmm. all of the racial conflict there. So they've got a history of looking around for hot spots and interjecting their people. One thing the Politico uh, piece didn't mention, though, about the Oath Keepers, is their leader, Stuart Rhodes, uh, was telling his people, don't make a scene, don't intimidate people, and don't come armed. So we'll see. Uh, You know, I think, uh, you know, I don't think what's going to happen is we're going to see hundreds or thousands of white supremacists at the polls in black neighborhoods, but I think we will see some of these people. And I I think uh, while we're very unlikely to see violence on some sort of major scale, uh, I think incredibly unlikely to, uh, I think uh, just, you know, you can picture uh, some of these Oath Keepers, uh, you know, big, white, burly Mm -hmm. ex-cops, Going into uh, Philadelphia inner city neighborhoods and standing around the polls looking threatening, uh, I just think that uh, that is the kind of situation uh, that is set up uh, to create conflict.
1: We we so we'll yeah. see what happens. We, well, we've had uh, we've had Stuart Rhodes actually on this show, and and you know uh, while I couldn't disagree with him more on many political uh, issues, uh, he seems like a reasonable go- reasonable guy, not a crazy guy. I think actually at the time he was on. Uh, you know, to to talk about the uh, the the takeover uh, up in uh, Oregon of the Malheur uh, Wildlife Refuge up there, and, and saying that those people were kind of crazy people and were unhinged. Uh, so I'd like to think he would uh, keep his group in order, but uh, let me say he's yeah. a little
4: unhinged himself. Okay. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I also have been up against Rhodes uh, in the uh-huh. sense that, uh, for instance, a few years ago, I debated him on uh, Chris Matthews' show mm-hmm. uh, on MSNBC. And, you know, uh, Rhodes certainly, you know, can make a presentable character. I mean, he went to Yale Law School and graduated in, in, you know, near the top of his class, mm-hmm. so he's not a complete fool. On the other hand, when you look at uh, the Oath Keepers uh, and what they're really about, the whole organization centers around this, uh, the Ten Orders We Will Not Obey, which is kind of the centerpiece of their website and Mm -hmm. most of their literature. And those orders reference the classic uh, militia conspiracy theories about the federal government. So the orders we will not obey, and this is just from memory, I don't have them in front of me, but they are things like, you know, we will not herd Americans into concentration camps. We will not aid foreign troops uh... in putting down rebellions in the united states we will not engage you know we won't help the government take all american citizens guns and so on well you know these that, that is uh... you know all part and parcel of the core theory of the militia groups that the government is engaged in this massive conspiracy uh... to uh, take away our guns to force us into a kind of one world socialist government the new world order and so on So, uh, all that but, nevertheless, uh, I agree that Stuart Rhodes uh, certainly runs a tighter organization than most of the people uh, who run the groups we've been discussing, and I think it's more capable, actually, putting people out
1: there on the street. I have uh, been covering elections for what is now a very long time, and I never recall these kind of... Statements coming out from these groups, uh, and, and these seemingly, whether they materialize or not, these seemingly well thought out plans from these, uh, sort of far right nationalist groups, you know, talking about plant, planting hidden cameras, uh, which I do think is bluster. But, uh, you know, I recall maybe an announcement of an endorsement from some guy associated with one of them, but never this kind of. Purportedly organized effort, as is being reported now. I mean, is, is this new, or is this something I've just not noticed? No, in the no, past? it's
4: absolutely no. You're completely right, and the reason is uh, the radical right in America today has a hero in the Democratic nominee for president of the United States. I mean, that's uh, the, what I it think, all. Comes I think you down mean to. just.
1: I think you mean the Republican nominee. Uh, I Drew. mean the Republican nominee. Okay, I'm sorry, about that. Yeah, <laughs> quite, right. quite a difference there.
4: Yes. Uh, No, I mean, I think that they see Donald Trump uh, as the best thing uh, politically they've seen in half a century or more, uh, going at least back to George Wallace and and probably further. So, you know, they recognize that Trump uh, is more or less forced to give these kind of weak disavowals of the Klan and of David Duke and so on. But uh, they also recognize what I think is is undeniable, which is that Trump has been playing footsie with these uh, groups, this movement. Uh, from the very first day he started his campaign by denouncing mexican immigrants as rapists and drug peddlers and all the rest of it so you know i think they're thrilled uh... they are very energized they feel like at the very least uh... trump has opened up political space uh... for them to uh... sort of uh... you know discuss ideas that were formerly very much considered taboo in the american political mainstream So, you know, at the same time, I think that uh, white supremacists in this country, just like uh, Trump supporters in general, Mm -hmm. have been told by Trump again and again and again that they are about to be robbed, uh, that the elites are about to rip them off in the biggest way possible. Uh, And, you know, that kind of talk, I think, is what makes me worry particularly about violence around Election Day and perhaps afterwards. Uh, You know, I think we're going to have a lot of angry people uh, if and when Trump loses, uh, and certainly, that could mean some violence.
1: Uh, and that was sort of one of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, what are the concerns about, I mean, you guys actually you watch this stuff very closely. you actually, you know, compile intelligence reports on these groups. What are the concerns about, Extremist actions, uh, you know, if Trump loses, and frankly, what if he wins? I, I'm trying to figure out which is worse. Uh, well, what does the uh... uh Southern Poverty Law Center fear most at this point—a a Trump loss or a Trump victory?
4: I think a Trump loss uh, would be the more dangerous thing, at least immediately. Uh, I think if Trump were to win, you know, we might see some of these elements uh, getting very restive and angry six or eight months down the line when they realize that Trump can't really ban Muslims, can't really deport 11 or 12 million people, can't really build a wall uh, along the 3,000 plus mile border with Mexico. So that but that's really out there and speculative and you know I think uh, certainly Trump is likely not to win. So I uh, I think here we are most worried about him winning and the reaction of the radical right to this point uh or or to that to that mm-hmm. eventuality. Uh you know uh, what I don't think will happen uh, is, you know, we're not going to see entire militias or, you know, formations of white supremacists uh, marching on cities, guns blazing, uh, or anything like that. Uh, I think it is far, far more likely to be uh, individualized uh, circumstances. I- you know, somebody said uh, at a polling place uh, in inner-city Philadelphia and says a few things, that anger, you know, local residents, people who are actually voting at that precinct, uh, and who knows what comes next? And and there is always, I think, uh, as well, the possibility of terrorism, uh, perhaps not on Election Day, but perhaps in the days afterward, as these groups uh, or individuals within this movement, you know, kind of sit around and ruminate about their loss. Uh,
1: the uh, So we don't have any, at least to your knowledge, any hard information, any hard intelligence that, uh, you know, that there will be. Uh, violence or chaos uh, purposely uh, uh, sown by these groups, is, is much of this just really psychological intimidation? And even, you know, showing up if they do show up, uh, you know, with guns at the polling place. And in you know, many states, I guess that's perfectly legal. So is this about psychological intimidation as much as anything else? Or, or is there a real threat to our ability to, to hold an election day next Tuesday?
4: I don't think there's a real threat to our ability to hold an election. Uh, I do think there's the real possibility as as I say, of kind of sporadic violence uh here and there uh, you know I don't think there's really anything to compare it to because we haven't seen these groups uh going out like this uh in on behalf of a major candidate. Uh, you know normally, virtually all the groups we're talking about. Uh, say, you know, Republicans, Democrats, they're all the same, right? They're all the servants of the global elites. They're all the enemies of white people. Uh, you know, they're all the uh, uh, champions of political correctness and all the things we hate. So, you know, uh, I certainly in the time I've been doing this kind of work, 25 years or so, I um, mean, you know, I haven't seen anything like uh, the enthusiasm that they're showing for this candidate.
1: M- uh, m- many folks on the right uh, consider themselves now a-, a-, a part of this so-called alt-right we've referred to here. Uh, what, can you just give us some idea, what is the alt-right, at least as the Southern Poverty Law Center defines it, and is it considered to be a hate, hate group? I mean, after all, I- I, you know, I believe that the Breitbart website now considers themselves to be alt-right, and, uh, you know, and they're now, uh, as extremists as they are, they're considered to be a pretty mainstream outfit in a general sense. I mean, does this mean that the far-right extremist groups have now been mainstreamed into American culture as you've seen it in your 25 years? Right. In a
4: sense, yes. I mean, really, the alternative right is a rebranding uh, of white supremacy for the digital age uh... you know there are a few things you could say it's a very mushy kind of uh... term uh, i think there are a few things you could say about the alternative right though that are universally true one, uh... the fa- you know the foundational idea the one idea that holds the alternative right together right across the board from a guy like andrew anglin who's really an out-and-out nazi uh... to somebody like uh... Stephen bannon of breitbart uh, is the idea who that who now runs race, the
1: who now runs the we should note uh, now runs now the Trump CEO, campaign right? The yeah. Trump's
4: campaign right. Uh, you know the thing that unites them all is race is at the foundation of everything they think about. Uh, they think that cultures are based on race. That you know healthy nations, healthy cultures, uh, all of that are based on race. So race is the foundational idea of the alternative right. Now, you know, that said, they tend, although Anglin considers himself a part of the alternative right and, you know, runs that website and so on, uh, by and large, I would say the alt-right people uh, are kind of suit-and-tie racists. They're the kind of people who don't generally spend their time using racial slurs and so on, uh, but who dress up their language in sort of the uh, terms of academia, uh, the language of academia, but who are essentially advancing the same ideas as the Klan. Uh, the other thing I would say about the alternative right that's kind of characteristic of it is it's really, in a sense, the younger part of the movement. Uh, these are the young Turks who are trying to build think tanks, people like Richard Spencer at the National Policy Institute uh, that promote the ideas of, of kind of white nationalism and so on. Uh, they are very into the Internet and social media. Uh, a real defining characteristic of the alternative right is how they how much into... Uh, you know internet memes uh-huh. and hashtags and all that kind of thing uh they are the alternative right in effect created or recreated I should say Pepe the frog right. uh, as a uh, white supremacist symbol
1: and it's It's kind of amazing when we're talking about. Something and again I I I hate referring to the Breitbart website as mainstream, but it really has become mainstream, particularly when you've got its, you know, uh its its chairman now running the uh the campaign for the Republican nominee for president. But when you
4: just to interrupt for a second, yeah. I mean, you know, it might be worth pointing out I think you're right. I mean, it is considered quote unquote mainstream. But for the last eighteen months, Breitbart News has been pushing the themes of the alternative right, of the mm-hmm. racist right. Very clearly, right? Very uh, anti-immigration, yeah. very pro-white nationalism, that kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. They have been doing that. They've been doing it and sort of, you know, they're picked up by uh, their reports, are picked up by other, you know, by legitimate uh, corporate news outlets, as if it's real news. Uh, and, and and they call themselves alt-right. And now you got, you know, these guys who are leading up, heading up the, the, the Nazi party also calling themselves alt-right. I mean, it feels very much like... That entire uh, uh, side of the political spectrum is becoming, is, is uh, embedding itself within mainstream American culture. That seems a very disturbing development.
4: I think you're right, and I think we have in large part Donald Trump to thank for that. He has normalized, uh, in a sense, these kinds of groups. Uh, I, I mean, you know, just to even have this conversation about Breitbart in the last year, mm-hmm. Being part of the mainstream uh you know is just remarkable uh if one knows you know if, we, if you follow Breitbart at yep. all, and the idea that Breitbart can then be actually quoted. By real organizations, it's shocking. Uh, It really is.
1: You know, and I gotta uh, just toss this in here. I got one more question for you, but I I gotta toss in this thought. You know, Breitbart himself, Andrew Breitbart. uh, I used to go back and forth with him quite frequently on Twitter and on radio. And uh, you know, he he was a you know a crazy uh, Republican right winger. But I gotta wonder if he would even approve of what the hell has become of. This Breitbart site, because he used to uh, really push back against racialism and uh, the use of racialism in politics. I find it, it, you know, strange that I'm even sounding like I'm defending Andrew Breitbart in but, but any I way. But I think you're
4: right. I think you're right. I mean, I read a long piece. You may have seen it as well, mm-hmm. uh, by a former editor of Breitbart, who said precisely what you're saying. That uh, you know, it, uh, Breitbart may have been this and may have been that, but what he wasn't was, uh, you know, a Klansman. Um, right. And that is more and more what Breitbart has become—you uh, know, a genuinely white nationalist uh, uh-huh. organization. So, yeah, I think there's some truth to the idea that Breitbart might be, uh, you know, spinning in his grave.
1: Uh. Before, uh, before I let you go, Mark Potok, uh, we've seen a lot of, uh, let me call them anecdotal reports this year, of racial violence around the country. Attacks on Muslim mosques, attacks on uh, Muslims. Uh, we saw a church burning uh, once again in Greenville, Mississippi, yesterday with Vote Trump Spray painted on the side. Uh, Does does this just seem to be a rise in uh, racially motivated uh, violence uh, tied to Trump supporters? Or is this a real quantifiable thing? I know you cover in your annual report, the year in hate and extremism. Are we actually seeing a quantifiable bump in this sort of uh, 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 racial and extremist violence? Well, the short answer
4: is we don't know in a way that we can prove yet. We don't have statistics yet where we can absolutely say that's so. As an anecdotal matter, though, and having sat in this seat for about 20 years, Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any question. Uh, You know, I mean, just to see, you know, every day there are reports coming in. Uh, It's been heaviest uh, in the kind of the anti-Muslim, the world of anti-Muslim hatred and violence. But we've got an enormous number of attacks on black people, And then an enormous number just of everyday encounters, like uh, the fact that just huge percentages of Muslim children have been bullied in school in the last six months or so. Uh, You know, we did a report here that was really kind of awful uh, on the so-called Trump effect. And and what it was looking at was the way kids in elementary and middle school and even high school uh, are being frightened by this election. And, you know, what we found were things like you know, kids with Mexican heritage, you know, born in this country, citizens absolutely born of citizens, but asking their teachers, you know, uh, ma'am, am, you know, am I going to be deported? Am I going to be sent to Mexico if mm. Donald Trump wins? So it, it's just a poisoning at a level that is really uh, quite awful. And
1: we've seen this year for the first time in my memory, uh, you know, actual schools that are, uh, you know, that are usually serve as polling sites that they're shutting them down, uh, moving the the the, uh, the voting elsewhere, the precincts elsewhere, because there there are concerns about violence in an election in America. I, it's it's extraordinary to me, uh, Mark. I, I know I had said that was the last question, but the people are sort of, that we're talking about on the alt-right, they seem to be emboldened, they seem to be not going away. Is there anything that we can actually do? People who are not crazy extremists, is there anything that we can actually do to somehow get this nation back on the right course? Are there actions that we can actually take at this point?
4: Well, uh, it's a tough question to answer. I think that Trump has uh, kind of... uh Taking the lid off of Pandora's box in a very uh, real and substantial way, and these are demons or whatever you want to call them that are very difficult to get back into that box. So I don't know. Uh, you know, one would hope uh, that uh, you know all of this coverage of the extreme right would bring it home to people. Uh, you know what these people really are. Uh, and I think that the whole business with uh, the kind of rebranding of of the, the racist right as the alternative right uh has been good for them and bad for the rest of us meaning you know i think it is absolutely true the alternative right doesn't sound uh like the clan right. uh, it doesn't sound like what it is uh which is you know a racial nationalist movement uh so you know i guess uh, from our point of view the, the big job ahead is just continuing as much as possible to educate people so they understand what these groups really are they're not benign uh you know what they are suggesting Uh, right across the board is incredibly sort of uh, un-American, you know, at its most Mm -hmm. basic level. So I think that uh, people need to understand that, and clearly uh, very many millions of people in this country don't.
1: And Maybe I'll answer my own question here by saying uh, one thing that we all can do is vote, and vote in absolutely enormous numbers uh, uh, next week. Mark Potok, uh, Senior Fellow at the Southern Poverty Law Center. Check out their work at splcenter.org and on the Twitters at splcenter. Mark, it's always great uh, speaking with you. Uh, and I suspect we may have to uh, give you a shout in the not-too-distant future. Okay, Brad. I'll look forward to it. Thank you, sir. Good luck next week. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> back. It's your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Just a minute or two left here, but you, you may have heard about this uh, Senate race uh, in, in North Carolina. We've got a lot of very tight Senate races, very close Senate races, and it's, this is going to determine the control of the U.S. Senate. So in North Carolina, Richard Burr He's the incumbent senator. Uh, He's he's apologizing this week after he was caught telling Republican supporters that he was surprised Hillary Clinton appeared on the cover of a gun magazine without a bullseye on her face. (laughs) You know, you you wonder where we were talking with uh, Mark Potok there about, you know, these extremists. Some of these extreme, where are they getting it from? Well, they're getting it from the presidential, Republican presidential candidate, but they're getting it from, you know, just rank and file Republicans like uh, Richard Burr, who are running for Senate. Burr is in this uh, tight race uh, for a third term in North Carolina against Deborah Ross. Uh, Democrats see her as having one of the best chances to pick up a seat as they try to regain Uh, Retake the Senate, according to AP. Uh, And so he he, Burr has now apologized for that statement uh, that goes along with what uh, kind of what Trump had said when he suggested back in August that Second Amendment people might find some way to stop Hillary Clinton from from uh, having her own Supreme Court nominations, uh, claiming that she's going to roll back gun rights and so forth. On this audio that was obtained by, uh, by CNN, Burr tells a private gathering that he saw a copy of American Rifleman in a gun shop. He said, quote, it's got a picture of Hillary Clinton on the front of it. I was a little bit shocked that it didn't have a bullseye on it. He issued an apology. He said the comment I made was inappropriate and I apologize for it. Well, that's good. But here's what caught my eye. The other thing that he said in this private gathering in this audio uh, obtained by CNN. uh, Let's see. uh, He says uh, that uh, if Hillary Clinton becomes president, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that four years from now, we still got an opening on the Supreme Court.
2: That seems to me impeachment level of that senator.
1: Well, no. You listen, they could say whatever they want. I don't. You can't. I don't think you can impeach uh, senators. By the way, to I don't my know. Knowledge. It Seems like
2: you should be able to. I,
1: well, listen. He's not the only one who said it. Ted Cruz uh, of, of Texas and Senator John McCain of Arizona have both said that the GOP will block any Democratic nominee to replace the late Justice Antonin Scalia, who died in February. We talked, you know, a few months ago with Ian Milheiser about uh, the vacancy and the Demo- the Republicans that were refusing for a full year now, just about refusing uh, to allow anyone to be seated uh, in uh, Scalia's place on the Supreme Court. Milheiser suggested there could be, you know, a total of three or four openings. And he thought at the time, and I thought this was crazy, but he thought it's possible that they will, the Republicans will block anyone and everyone from filling those seats until they control the White House and until they control the nominations. And here you have a Republican senator in North Carolina confirming that I'm going to do everything I can to make sure four years from now, we still got an opening on the Supreme Court. Unbelievable. Don't forget, go out and vote. Yeah. Yes, please. Please go do that. Desi Doyen, uh, thank you very much. She's our producer. I appreciate your work here today. My thanks, of course, to Mark Potock of the Southern Poverty Law Center and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated, as is the support from those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you for keeping us on the air through this insane election season. We'll, we'll be back at it as as long as it takes, I guess. Uh, if you want to drop me an email, I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world! <laughs>